Freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Choosing to be free, which is the name of the show and welcome, um, is important because freedom is never the default choice and it's rarely the easy choice. Uh, in America today, and, all, and always in the past, freedom was actually a kind of a difficult, non-obvious choice that has always been fraught with, free, with uh, lots of risk. In other words, freedom, freedom and risk go hand in hand. And you can never be free if you are risk-averse. Risk-averse people are free only uh, in name only, and only if they live in societies that have been made free for them by people who were less risk-averse and uh, who are the societies that are still maintained by people who are less risk-averse for those who are more risk-averse. In other words, for example, those, uh, those of us who volunteer to, to serve in the armed forces are taking on uh, a large amount of risk so that the rest of us who may be more uh, risk-averse can remain free. And there's hardly you know, anything uh, that is very controversial in what I'm saying now. But um, the price you pay for freedom personally uh, can come in uh, many different uh, forms and many different shapes. Uh, in America today, that price has to do with uh, the willingness to unshackle one th oneself from the shackles of the mind, those long established axiomatic beliefs that were uh, embedded in most Americans during their public uh, school education. And I am not a product of the American public school education. I studied for the first three years elementary school in the Soviet Union and later for uh, uh, all of my years through PhD in Israel and just my MBA is, is from Northeastern University in Boston. But my certainly my formative years were not spent in the US. So I have a very different perspective. I'm, I'm unshackled by a lot of the things that Americans were taught to believe. You know, by the way, the, the word education in English is uh, kind of uh, safe, but in, uh, in uh, two other languages that I know at least, in uh, Russian and in French, the words for education have a, a little bit more sinister meaning. In Russian, it's образование, and in French, formation. Now, formation comes from the word form, and uh, in 
English it would be pronounced as formation. In other words, making something into form, giving something form. In this case, giving an unformed mind of a young person form. In Russian, similarly, the word obrazovania comes from the word obraz. Obraz is an image. And so obrazovania means forming an image. Taking, uh, if you wish, a blank uh, canvas and uh, drawing upon it uh, a picture. But then the question becomes, who is doing the forming? Who is, do who is doing the uh, painting? And for what purpose? Okay, so uh, throughout most of America's existence, or at least maybe uh, out of the 244 years for the first 144, um, the who the who was the same as today. It was teachers and professors, but uh, in terms of what what was the goal of this image forming? The goal was to create well-informed patriotic Americans who believed that America was uh, a force for the good, a force for good in the world, that the people who founded her did so from pure motives and even though themselves imperfect, set in motion uh, a, a self-perfecting system that uh, gave the most people the most opportunities as compared to anywhere else and as well created a system in which uh, justice was as equally distributed as, as anywhere and most likely more so. But uh, co compare that to when I was in, in, in the Soviet Union uh, just for the first three years of my education in elementary school, it would not have occurred to my parents for one second to allow school to form my mind because they knew that the school in, schools in Russia were run by the Soviet uh, Communist Party and that they consisted of indoctrination in the tenets of communism. And my parents, you know, uh, to their lasting credit, hated communism. So I was told routinely uh, at the dinner table to uh, only to only learn to parrot back to teachers all these dogmas that they were teaching us about Lenin and all that kind of stuff so that I could get grades because grades were necessary for later success in life but when outside of mathematics and, and, and things of that nature uh, they uh, um, substantially forbade me from believing or internalizing a word a single word of what I was hearing in school. Uh, because they knew that the, the, the people doing the forming were the servants of a nefarious uh, force of communism. Uh, well, my friends, that's exactly, that's exactly what's happening in America and not just today. That's exactly what's been happening in America for a long, long time. Unfortunately, the American propagandists were smarter than their Russian counterparts and, and the American people were far more naive than their uh, Soviet counterparts. In other words, the American people, unlike the Soviets, um, never suspected that their government 
who was taken over by nefarious forces and was dishing to them uh, pure communist propaganda. Okay, they kind of uh, sent their children to school to be, to use this word, formed, and uh, went. You know, the the parents went on with their lives of uh, making money, and that we all know that that's hard enough. And uh, they said, well, we pay taxes, and from those taxes we subcontract, outsource uh, the job of forming our children's mind to professionals. And they believed that those professionals acted out of pure motives. Well, that belief had no basis in reality. It was wrong. And again, not just from yesterday, from a long time ago. It was simply wrong. Now, a good example of that is, and there are certain things that were ingrained in the American psyche that even my listeners, I suspect, uh, most of whom may not be uh, liberal progressives, even though I hope some are listening to me who are of that particular de- ideological persuasion. But anyway, even my listeners who are uh, very conservative, I suspect that most of you guys believe, for example, that the civil rights movement of the 1960s was a good thing, and that people like Martin Luther King and John Lewis, who recently died, were acting in the best interests of America, and that the massive civil rights legislation that they have ushered in was a positive thing for America. But I can tell you right now that all of that is simply wrong. Um, civil rights movement and this and the subsequent uh, legislation that followed were designed to right an indisputable wrong, but it, they f- fall into the category of a cure that kills the patient. The civil rights legislation, I'll get more into it as we go along in this program, um, set in motion uh, and had the inevitable result of what we're seeing in America today, which is the destruction of America as a constitutional republic and its rebirth as a progressive, liberal, Bolshevik uh, dictatorship with globalist and Islamo-globalist, Islamo-fascist kind of um, notes in it. And it's worthwhile giving some thought to how this process happened, because once you understand it, you can unshackle your mind, you can start unforming yourself (laughs) and informing yourself. So actually, as I'm saying it, uh, it sounds good to me. Uh, In order to be free in America today, you have to first of all, unform yourself, you have to remove that uh, mold that you were poured into when you went to school. Uh, You have to assume a free form and then you have to inform yourself as to what has really happened. And what has really happened is that America as we see today, uh, the America of today, 
is America 4.0 uh, and now it's um, metamorphosizing into America 5.0 which we don't know what it will be but it's coming soon next and the reason I say that is as follows America 1.0 as conceived by the founding fathers and um, was born between the years 1776 and 1785-6 was uh, a constitutional republic a fairly innovative one in the annals of humanity uh, but it only survived until 1865 so it, it had a, a what a, 35 so it, it, it had a, a, a fairly limited lifespan of about 90 years even though it's the longest of uh, all the other versions of America that America the America 1.0 was also an agrarian society that uh, depended heavily on natural resource exploitation such as whaling uh, in the north and uh, labor-intensive agriculture in the south which uh, required uh, vast uh, indentured slave form a slave force known as uh, the slaver institution well by the 1860s it became clear that slavery on that scale in a modern country you know forget about North, North Africa and all of that type of places in a modern country that wanted to do business in the West, in the modern world, it became clear, abundantly clear, that slavery could no longer be practiced. Unfortunately, uh, Southerners in America could not really see that. They could not see their way out of it. They could not see that even in Russia, the Serbs, the Serbs were being released and Russia was lagging behind in its, in its industrial development somewhat. Uh, so it became, you know, the, the whole slavery thing had to uh, be ended one way or another. And America had to complete its journey from a substantially agrarian society, a resource exploitation society, to an industrial society. And that's really what the Civil War was about. It could have taken this form, another form, but it had to happen. And America 2.0 was born. And America 2.0 was... Uh, a rapidly industrializing country leading the world in industrialization and technological innovation but also and for the first time uh, there were hints of colonialism kind of imperialism in America starting with uh, rapid expansion across the continent which could still be considered more like um, taking territories that were substantially there to, to the taken, that were for the taking, populated only by native tribes. And we discussed in a previous show how the march of civilization is inevitable and uh, civilized peoples have always throughout history displaced, uh, let's call it not civilized people or tribal people or indigenous people. The... Um, a rapidly expanding industrial re uh, uh, republic that was America 2.0, born out of the Civil War, ended in and around 1915 and around that time frame when America entered the First World War in Europe. 
and uh, America 3.0 was born out of those ashes. Now America 3.0 was already a very different country. It was a country that first of all vastly expanded the powers of the federal government at the expense of both the, both the individual freedoms of every American and the, uh, the states uh, and created a modern megastate which was substantially centrally governed from Washington DC. So we had things like federal income tax come along and soon thereafter uh, social security and all these great programs and America started beca rapidly becoming a kind of a Western imperial power by um, casting its influence to, uh, in the Pacific and South America and in other places. And when I say influence, I mean including military, paramilitary and commercial presence that was there whether the natives of these countries wanted it or not. Okay, so America became a colonial imperial power, no different than the Britain of its day, or France. Okay, we'll continue with that in the next segment. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, folks. So, as I was saying just before the break, the America 3.0 that was born out of the First World War was uh, akin to England and France of its day a fully industrialized society that had imperial overseas possessions. 
And I know, I know America never really like governed over other places or rarely, but it doesn't matter. It did so uh, as a matter of fact, rather, in other words, the fact or rather than the Euro. So places like the Philippines and most of South America, they were substantially American colonies. Just like Morocco and Algiers were, you know, Tunisia were French colonies and India was an English colony. It varied in details, but not in substance. And that America uh, survived, the America 3.0 um, survived all the way through the mid-60s, so another 50 years. So we have 90 years for 1.0, about 50 years for 2.0, and yet again 50 years for 3.0. And what happened in the 1960s and early 70s? A couple of different things. One of them uh, was that America has received a very significant military defeat, a military check from uh, the Soviet Union in its war in Vietnam. And there were hints for that even in the 50s in the Korean War. What happened in the Korean War was that America had initial successes when it deterred the northern uh, North Korea's invasion of South Korea, but uh, when it wanted to consolidate that victory and unite Korea under the banner of South Korea, in other words, under the banner of the American protectorate, in other words, make Korea into substantially an American colony, the Chinese acting also uh, at the behest of their then Soviet almost masters, intervened and there was nothing uh, America could do to uh, fight off the Chinese. It suffered significant military losses and had to withdraw back to the original border between North and South Korea. And that's something that is still very much in play in the world today, the outcome of that war. It has never officially, as you know, ended. In then, in the mid, uh, 10 years later, uh, in the mid-60s, America was in crisis because for the past 100 year, years or so, there was this long shadow from the Civil War called segregation in the American South. And just as 100 years before, in the 1860s, all of a sudden, slavery as an institution became completely untenable because the world at large could not really tolerate it. Well, in the, in the 1960s, the idea of segregation, the idea of treating people openly and lawfully different or differently based on uh, the color of their skin became equally untenable in the world. In other words, America could hardly maintain that it was uh, some sort of paradigm of liberty in the world, and that's what it did in its Cold War uh, conflict with uh, the Soviets and the Chinese, when it was internally and openly uh, discriminating against its own citizens. So that, that was impossible. It was in, uh, completely untenable. In fact, there is a woman called Angela Davis who is a very dangerous, radical, progressive 
uh, uh, almost terrorist. Well, that woman, she started her career, she's older now, but she started her career, still active, but she started her career in uh, the early 70s, late 60s maybe, and, and uh, when I was living in the Soviet Union, I was less than 10 years old. I remember her, I mean, uh, Miss, Ain Miss Davis's face with a huge afro splattered all over uh, every communist rag like Izvestia, Izvestia or Pravda because they were using her as a poster child for how America was unjust and how it was suppressing its own and oppressing its own citizens like Angela Davis, uh, uh, in other words, uh, uh, American blacks, African Americans. So something had to be done and out of this necessity or, or out of that necessity was born the civil rights movement. And just like a hundred years before, unfortunately, the American South could not self-reform. So it had to be substantially reformed from the North, including things like sending federal troops to various uh, schoolhouses and courthouses and things of that nature to, to desegregate them. That and the, the demonstrations that came along with it, the civil unrest and so on, sent a, an unmistakable message to the rest of the world, substantially to Russia and to China, that America was nothing but a paper tiger. In other words, nuclearly armed, yes, but demoralized, destabilized, politically divided, and that it could be beaten. And then it was beaten in Vietnam. What happened in Vietnam was that in America suffered a humiliating defeat, took major losses, uh, gained nothing. And uh, unlike in Korea, it also did not fight the communists to a standstill. The war in Vietnam, maybe pe people in America look at it differently, but I can tell you from outside, and it's, it's a fact, the war, the war in Vietnam was a rout of America by its enemies. America signed, uh, the only thing that America could do uh, in, in 1973 was to sign a capitulation agreement that was no different in substance than the capitulation agreement that was signed by the Japanese or the Germans in 1945, except the, the only concession that it kind of got, Kissinger got, and for which he got the totally undeserved Nobel Peace Prize, was that this capitulation agreement was A, called the peace agreement, which it was not, and B, that the effects of that agreement uh, came into place or came into play, uh, not immediately, but two years thereafter. In other words, uh, <clears throat> North Vietnamese kind of held off from taking South Vietnam and unifying the country under the banner of communism for about two years between 1973, when the Americans uh, left, and 1975, when they took Saigon and renamed it Ho Chi Minh City. But delayed or not, and no matter how you color it, America suffered a rout, a complete military rout, lost, uh, and uh, suffered, suffered a major defeat. 
And that defeat uh, to this day preys upon the American psyche. And it has never been reversed on the world stage because that was the last time that American military came into contact with a determined uh, and capable enemy that was supported by another superpower, in that case, the Soviet Union. The American uh, consequent battles in the Middle East and so on were against far inferior powers who were not supported by any uh, major superpower. And so they really cannot be counted as American victories. And by the way, what is going to take place in Afghanistan in the next uh, oh, just few months will be a, re um, a retake. Uh, it will be substantially Vietnam 2.0. And it has to be. There's no other choice. So I'm not saying that America should stay in Afghanistan. Far from it. But America will, will have suffered when all the chips are down a humiliating defeat in Afghanistan just as it, as it had in Vietnam. There will be a so-called peace agreement which in fact will be a capitulation agreement and the Taliban will agree that they will not uh, retake the government and revert the country into hard Islamo-fascist dictatorship for oh from a few months to a year or two after the Americans leave but they will do it that's uh, you know that's an absolute given and Afghanistan will become substantially uh, a weapons testing laboratory and a backyard for the Islamic extremists in bordering Pakistan. So in other words, America's longest war in Afghanistan will not have amounted to a pile of beans uh, except major losses in money and unfortunately in blood and uh, with, with no, nothing to show for it whatsoever. And so Afghanistan will be simply uh, another Vietnam for America. It already is. It just hasn't been, you know, fully publicized as such yet. And there's no other way. There's no way that America can win that war. It's impossible. It should never have gotten into it. But it, it is what it is. But back to the, uh, back to the civil rights movement. Um, while the segregation and all of that Jim Crow stuff had absolutely had to be abolished and corrected, and it was a disease, unfortunately the cure for that disease, um, most more likely than not, has killed the patient, in other words, uh, the American Republic. And it did so because At the basis of American constitutionalism, at the basis of how the American founding fathers saw the world, their worldview, is the idea that the only entity that has agency is an individual human being. Okay, I want to repeat that. The only entity that has agency is an individual human being. Not a group of human beings, not a class of human beings, uh, not a labor union, just one human being. Okay? Uh, that is an absolutely fundamental tenet of American constitutionalism 
And that tenet, that absolute foundation upon which everything else stands, was demolished by the civil rights legislation of the 1960s. Why? Because the remedy that was sought by uh, the people who opposed uh, segregation, Jim Crow, and so on, um, was corrupted by, Lind by or, or how should I say, it was combined with Lyndon Johnson's so-called war on poverty, and which was really a disguise for pandering for votes. So it was this drive by the Democratic Party to take the vast numbers of African-American votes for themselves. In other words, and, and, and by doing so, make a serious play for... They knew that they couldn't... Well, I should put it this way. Uh, the, the, the National Democrats in America knew that they couldn't keep their, their hold on the South uh, by continuing with those racist, openly racist and segregationist policies that they have always espoused. All these, as we know, all these racist politicians in, in the South were all Democrats. But the national Democrats on the national level knew that that was not, no longer sustainable. And they knew that they were therefore going to lose the South. But nevertheless, they wanted to make a play for the black votes in the South and the black votes elsewhere. So they took the civil rights legislation, they took, they took what needed to be done to correct the injustices of segregation and Jim Crow, Jim Crow, sorry, and they made them into something totally different. They made them into, and the courts, including the Supreme Court, supported it. They created in America for the first time classes of people. So instead of only individuals having agency, all of a sudden you had groups of people defined by in different ways having agency for themselves. And here we're talking about things like labor unions, including public labor unions such as the teachers unions that came into power and into being. In, in the in the uh, 1960s and classes of people based on race such as uh, African Americans uh, Native Americans and so on so all of a sudden you had legislation that was uh, targeted towards not uh, the rights of individuals but the rights of classes, groups, and so on of individuals. And that idea is antithetical to the idea of America as it was created. And once it was put at the core of the American legislation and adopted by the American Supreme Court, America kind of changed gears again and it became America 4.0. And America 4.0 is no longer a was no longer at that point even a constitutional republic. America 4.0 was more so a federal uh, 
liberal democracy. Okay, so um, a federal liberal democracy in which there was a kind of a rule of uh, educated, privileged elites over everybody else. And, or at the very least, it was a situation in which uh, during this America 4.0 uh, that, that came into being in, in and around 1965-1975 with the defeat in Vietnam, that America, that America 4.0 was a country in which some vestiges of state rights and of the old American republicanism did battle with the new uh, city-based social democratic um, state that kind of emerged kind of like that alien creature from the breast of human beings in those movies. So this social democracy, this kind of oligarchy, this European style class, not classless, but very class divided society has emerged from the bosom of the old America and, to, and take, killed it and taken it over. And in the next segment, we'll talk about where we are now and what will happen with America 5.0. It's your news and entertainment network. News blogs, informative podcasts, entertaining videos, or listen to 24-7 Talk Radio on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. We the people, AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome to the new era in communications. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, friends. We ended up the last segment with how America 4.0 was torn between the vestiges of a kind of a state rights constitutional republic and the emerging federal social democracy with oligarchical overtones. Well, what we're witnessing now after 50, 60 years, is that this America, the America 4.0, is coming to an end as well. And uh, we don't know yet what is going to emerge from the ashes of America 4.0, but the trend is rather unmistakable. The trend is that America will com complete its metamorphosis from a republic that was that was built upon fearless, risk-taking, freedom-loving, skilled individuals into a much more Eastern style empire of made up of classes in which individuals play little to no role, certainly the vast majority of them. So the, the new America, the America 
will substantially be a China. In other words, in America 5.0, unlike in America 1.0, most people will stay within the class into which they were born because they will be utterly risk averse. They will never want to hitch their wagon to a horse or a pair of oxen and go west. They will not have the intestinal fortitude for it or anything even remotely close to that. They will want to keep feeding at the trough and even if the trough is less and less nutritious and even if their masters are more and more demanding and more and more cruel, even if, they, even if the masters demand of them that they get vaccinated, chipped, that they profess their love to the Baal or to Moloch, that they sacrifice their firstborn children, most Americans are, are not going to do anything about it in this America 5.0. Most Americans will comply. There may be small numbers of people here and there that will not comply. And there is even some possibility, I consider it fairly small, that the number of Americans who will refuse to comply will be large enough to either split the country or, uh, surprisingly to me at least, uh, create an America 5.0 that will be more similar to the Americas that were in their 1, 2, and 3 versions rather than the one that just preceded it. In other words, perhaps there are enough Americans who, just, who will say, no, I will not comply, even in the face of significant risk, that these trends toward totalitarianism will be reversed. So far, I honestly see no real signs of it. Uh, the job that the American uh, totalitarian forces, from Bloomberg to the, to, to, to the various um, senators like Dianne Feinstein and Cuomo uh, up in New York and, and all these types of people, um, the Bushes, the Obamas, the Clintons, the job that these people, these, these uh, totalitarians did on the American people, the number that they did on the American people, uh, the tools that, that they used are so much more sophisticated than anything that was ever done in places like China or Russia that honestly Americans had little chance. So again, I come back to what I said in the uh, first segment. It's a kind of a double whammy. On one hand, the forces of government totalitarianism in America, uh, with the help of modern technology, are much more powerful, much more powerful and sophisticated than anything that their uh, counterparts in places like Russia or China have ever had at their disposal. But also... Uh, uh, they had a much more compliant populace with which to work. Uh, see, in, in Russia and in China, people have, have had centuries, if not millennia, of practice distrusting their government. Believe me, it wouldn't occur to a single Chinese person or Russian person to ever believe a word that comes out of a government official's mouth. 
For I know this firsthand. Uh, there, there's nobody in Russia that believed the word that was printed in the Soviet newspapers, and to this day they don't believe anything that's printed in the newspaper. Same goes for the Chinese. They live their lives trying to, to have as little contact with government as possible outside of those who go work for it. But they certainly don't believe it. They don't believe for a second that any government official has their best interests at heart or that he is or she is patriotic or that you know they do anything to help them. <laughs> that, that is a laughable notion for people in places like China or the Soviet Union. Laughable. And uh, unfortunately, Americans who were conditioned uh, by a couple of centuries or a century and a half at least of living in a country in which the government was, uh, as Lincoln put it, from the people and for the people, by the people. In other words, the government was somehow responsive to them and their needs. Uh, and the gov and government uh, um, employees, whether elected or not, were substantially the, the people's servants. So, uh, you know, Americans kind of believed it. It, was, it became somewhat ingrained in the American psyche. But it's a very dangerous notion because uh, it's simply not true. In fact, it's the farthest thing from the truth. There is nobody who works for the government that wants that that wants that has your best interests at heart. Nobody, not a single person. That's a given for people people like me who grew up in totalitarian regimes. To count on it. It's 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 a given. If you think that anybody who works for the government cares about you or or wants to help you, then then you're just wrong, plain wrong. Now you may know somebody you know locally in your DMV that's a nice guy. That's not what I'm talking about. But government is not your friend. Government is your enemy. Unfortunately, the American people are very naive about that, even still, and that makes it so much easier, and has made it so much easier for America to be taken over by the forces of tyranny, because. The um, Americans, you know, Americans that lived in America, I'm now thinking before the 1776 American Revolution, they probably had a very healthy distrust of the government, the colonial government that was administered from Great Britain. Even decades before the revolution, they probably didn't like it one bit. They didn't like it enough maybe to rebel against it and the time for it has not yet arrived. But I don't think that like in 1710, people in Boston loved and cherished the government in London and believed that the parliament sitting there on the River Thames, you know, had their best interests in mind or even cared what was going on on the River Charles. I don't think so. I think that they felt very, very suspicious towards the government that administered their affairs. But once 1776 came along, Americans changed their tune and they started believing that their own government, the government in America at all levels, was responsive to their needs and was uh, cared about them, to put it simply. And that was true for a while. 
but it certainly stopped being true a uh, hundred years ago or so. And from that point on, it became less and less true, and it's certainly not at all true today. So this naivete that the Americans had developed uh, towards how nefarious governments can be really made them uh, pretty easy pickings for various totalitarian forces. And that's where we're finding, us, uh, finding ourselves in today. So what can we do? Well, what can you do? Americans have a lot of catching up to do in terms of how to survive, if not thrive, within totalitarian societies and totalitarian regimes. Uh, and when I conceived of this show, I had this thought in my head that, you know, in my own very, very small way, perhaps I can plant some thoughts in, in, into one or two people's minds that can, who can benefit from it. And I'm fairly repetitive sometimes in my, in my programs, but I'm just going to say this. If you want to resist this ensla enslavement that's happening in America right now, if you want to wake up to what is happening, you have to take um, a look at what people in totalitarian societies that have experience with this, that, uh, what they are doing. And that begins with your children. If you must send your children to a public school, why don't you tell them what my parents told me? In other words, math, physics, science, all of that is good with an asterisk. Let's, let's see, is it good? But should be okay, I'm saying carefully. Everything else that they teach you in school is garbage. Tell your children that. It's utter garbage. Yes, you need your high school diploma. Yes, you need your high grades. Yes, you need them even to get into, you know, a welding program at a community college. Need something. So, when they teach you uh, totally uh, bizarre stuff about how whites, uh, you know, destroyed this or colonialized that or genocided this or that, sure, you, 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 you know, remember it so that you can parrot it on the exam, but do not believe it under any circumstances. These are all lies. Tell your children to disbelieve everything they're being taught in school. That's very important outside of mathematics and maybe some hard sciences. Okay. The second part is America is a big country. Some parts of it may be freer than others. If you cherish freedom, Perhaps you should consider moving to one of those parts that are freer than others, typically parts that are farther out from larger cities. Financially, um, you know, there, is, there are things that will always have value. Precious metals, land, especially land on which you can grow things and, and has its own water supply. I mean, fresh water supply. If you can afford to own such land, I would certainly recommend it. it. It gives you freedom, at least until 
you know, land ownership rights are revoked in America, which is not something that's going to happen first. If it ever happens, it's likely to happen last. So owning land is still a, a good way of, of, of being free, especially owning land in those places, perhaps, again, more Western America, where uh, or West and South, or place like Alaska, in which land ownership is still kind of unrestricted. Do that. Remember your money, the money that comes at you as flickering pixels on your LCD screen is not really yours because it's you, you do not control the electrons that drive those pixels. The government controls them. And if the government decides that they want to do something else with those electrons, well then you can see your money disappearing, you can see your money um, devaluing and you can actually see yourself easily being barred from accessing those funds. You know, the government in America uh, now has the absolute ability to block you from accessing your money with the push of a button. Think about that. Your stocks, your bonds, your 401ks, your cash that's in the bank, all of that. With one push of a button, you can, you cannot, you can be disallowed from using or accessing any of that. Whereas if you have a piece of land somewhere, well, the government is still quite hard pressed to stop you from using that land as you may wish. Drinking from that well, growing that vegetable garden, shooting that deer and eating it. The government still has very little ways in which it can affect your ability to do all of that. I know that what I'm suggesting is perhaps a little radical, perhaps it sounds you know crazy, but what I would suggest to you is that you do this mental exercise and look back 10, 15, 20 years ago, if you have that in your own lifetime, if not, talk to your parents, talk to your grandparents, and try to assess, really assess, truthfully assess, what has happened in America, or to America, and to Americans in that time frame, which is historically not, nothing but a blink of an eye. And once you grasp the totally ahistorical rate of change that's happening in America right now, the breathtaking acceleration with which the American collapse is taking place all around us right now. There is a collapse, not a drift, not a shift, not a you know reversible slow movement. There is an utter Don't believe me? Look back. Try to, Im try to immunize yourself against this being boiled like a frog thing that they're doing that they're doing to you. And believe me, they're ratcheting up the flames because nobody's jumping out of the pot. You know, if they had seen frogs waking up and jumping out, maybe they cut down on the flames a bit. But since not since nobody's jumping out and everybody's just ha just you know in in there, they're cranking it up. So what I recommend to you, my friends, if you cherish your freedom and even your survival, is jump out jump out of this spot because you've already taken on damage 
that you may not yet be aware of and if you stay much longer this damage will become irreversible. More in, in our next program next week. Stay safe. Choose to be free.